It might be getting stale. Okay, let's make it fresh. Hello and welcome to Fresh Aesthetic, the show where we discuss topics like creativity, popular culture, self-acceptance, and more. My name is Stephen, and I'm joined by my co-host Matt. Hi Matt, and welcome to the show everyone. Let's hit it. Okay, here we are. Back at it. Another week. How are you this week? I am I'm good. I've had a good week, and I've also trimmed my moustache this week. I didn't actually notice that. Mm, somebody said they felt sick because it was curling into my mouth, so... Oh, wow, well, yeah, that's a valid comment. I yeah. kind of feel sick just hearing about that. Uh, I, I quite like the nibble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. So um, this week we thought we'd talk about the paradox of suffering. Um, we may as well kick straight into it. Very good. So suffering, um, well, I'll just tell you about my week since you didn't bother asking. <laughs> <laughs> How's your week, Stephen? Yeah, that no, was really bad. <laughs> um, not even joking. So yeah, so I think that's what sparked the, the topic. I mean, we did touch on it last week with um, the ego stuff and, you know, what it means to die to the ego to take a death and the false self and the true self, things like that. So where it got me thinking was, okay, well, first of all, my week, um, I want to preface, preface this because I understand my privilege and I want to just clarify that at the start. Cause I think it's important to say that I'm white, I'm able-bodied. I've never really been afraid of when my next paycheck is coming in I've never really been afraid of where my next meal is going to come from and I live in a western civilization so I just want to start off with that but anyway so and a nice one I might add a very nice western civilization New Zealand is yeah that's right we're um for the most part we've escaped COVID but uh that's been a thing lately uh anyway so my week so had a few things happen, um, landed with one of those crazy unexpected bills, um, this one <laughs> escalating into the thousands of dollars, and it, yeah, it was to do with our car um, and in a part of the engine, well, it was actually part of the gearbox, and is going to cost thousands of dollars to replace and to install with, you know, labor of putting it in and things like that, plus then you've got the because the repair shop we're looking at is in Auckland and you've got to kind of get the car there somehow and currently the borders are closed to Auckland. So there's a f there's quite a few things in there, but it was very stressful. Also, my wife's had her wisdom tooth out, so she's um, been in a lot of pain and her face has been badly swelled up this week. So uh, thankfully she didn't need a car to get to work, so that, that was all good there. But um, yeah, it was, it's been... A few things like that. Anyway, I, I just wanted to, why not talk about it? Like with the show, we've kind of just been talking about what's fresh on our minds and thinking that that's the most, going to be the, the thing we're the most passionate about because it's happening right now. So, um, yep, so that's been a week. And I wanted to kind of link it in with suffering. Again, with my disclaimer about privilege, I understand, or well, I'm beginning to see that side of um, how privileged I am and uh, yeah you 
you don't want to take away from a human being's um, chance to to actually experience pain and suffering and say, oh, your suffering's worse than yours. But at the same time, I know that I'm, I've got all my basic needs met or pretty much all of my needs met every day. That's something to be thankful for and to be grateful for. So that aside, uh, the paradox of suffering. I was trying to think through why it got to me so much this week because I was very anxious and I have been battling with anxiety for a long time now, as you, you're well aware. But just trying to unpack why this event in particular made me feel almost helpless or like adrift at sea a, a little bit. And there was a sense that I didn't know, like I, I, I didn't know how to fix it. I felt helpless. And... Um, it was quite scary. It was a scary feeling. Um, so anyway, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, um, I think it is good. And, and there's a phrase that came to mind, um, first world problems that, um, probably isn't bloody correct PC now, you know, you're not allowed to say first world, second world, third world, fourth world, but you get the idea, you know, we've, we've got problems that really in the grand scheme of life aren't that great, but yet they are problems and they're faced you know, the hit us as reality. And, um, yeah, I, I think what's interesting about that is the f- not discounting our problems, being able to see them in context. Um, and so I, I think that's good to, to have that perspective, but also being like, just because you have a first world problem per se, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you. Right. And it's not a way of just, toughen up, sweep it under the carpet. Um, everybody has problems and how we deal with problems, how we address problems is going to be the key to essentially maturing as a person in life. Um, problem solving is the, I think, one of the greatest skills you can teach a child in life. If from a young age, how do you address emotions? My, my kid has a, a, a mood cube and on all four sides of the cube, it's got different emotions uh, sorry, all six sides of the cube, it's got di- different emotions and each side has like four different, so you, you're not just angry, but you're angry and tired or you're angry and hungry or and, and it helps them point to the emotion, identify it and say, look, this is how I feel. And I think it's good to acknowledge that even if in the grand scheme, it seems like insignificant. I think we need um, as people to be able to acknowledge our feelings in order to process them and grow through that. So um, but yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that you hit some of those emotions and that the anxiety came up. Anxiety is a horrible thing. Um, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Alvin, who I'm probably not supposed to mention because he'll sue us um, for this quote. But uh, Alvin said, it's funny how you can meet somebody who has it made, who has millions of dollars, has their own personal yacht. And if their brain isn't working right, they could be the most depressed person in the world and they could be the most anxious person in the world. And there's something about not only the uh, metaphysical aspects of our brain, the the chemical parts that are firing, but also um, how our brain is interlinked with our soul, with our spirit life and how we can, if we're not healthy in one area, it can affect the whole way that we view things and it can affect, uh, you know, we could have everything that we want in life, but um, we hit when we hit 
roadblock, so to speak. It just spirals us off the deep end. So, yeah, I think that that's what was coming to mind as you were talking to me, just uh, the relativity of suffering. Uh, and it's not really suffering, but it's talking a bit on a deeper level. Um, and I think sometimes when things compile and compound, it makes things worse. And I think sometimes undercurrents can be in our life. And if undercurrents are... Um, subconscious things or big problems that are weighing on us, everything else seems worse. And it's the paradigm we look through. Yeah, I just want to pick up on that because um, I heard a really helpful thing the other day about naming your emotions and having the tools to do that and how helpful that is. Because what they were saying was that if you can't name it and you can't understand it, the emotion that's happening for you in the moment, then you end up taking it out on something else that unconsciously. Um, so you might be upset about something or you're feeling strained about something. And then if you can't pinpoint exactly what's going on inside of you, then you might end up yelling at your kids or you might end up overreacting to your parents or something like that. Um, so that... Yeah, that's that's really important, I think. And one thing for me that I didn't haven't had in the past is having the tools to be able to do that. Um, but I'm slowly developing those tools of being able to first reflect and look inside myself and try to understand that it's just... I've heard another good thing that's helpful is that it's like a wave on top of the ocean but it's you're not the ocean so the the wave on the top is the emotion and if you're not careful you just get tossed around like crazy on the top of the water and you're just getting pounded by these emotions and things coming all the time but you're actually the ocean underneath and you aren't the waves coming in so being able to first identify what is happening what is this emotion you're feeling is a really good tool for being able to then process it and you find that then you're not taking it out on the wrong things yeah that's a great point and a great tool i think to be able to handle things as well it's funny the perception that we have the way our emotions can tint everything like you can have an emotion that makes you feel like the world is ending but it's just your reality yeah there's, there's a some research that, that's been done an experiment we talked about earlier in this experiment they invited some people to a building and tricked them because these guys didn't know the experiment was happening they, they were uh, jumping in the elevator on the way up to do this experiment and when they got in the elevator there was a person standing in there uh, who was going up to the floor with them and uh, it, they say oh can you hold my uh, drink to the candidate to the victim we'll call him a victim because that sounds more dangerous to the victim who is going upstairs to get their or what they think is their test upstairs and so the victim takes the the what is a cup of coffee it's either iced coffee or hot coffee one of the two they hold it in their hands the person i don't know if they tie their shoelace or do something and then they say thanks and they they take the coffee back at the very top of the lift uh, they jump out and somebody's standing there and they say, what did you think of the person in the lift? And what was interesting is when they had a hot cup of coffee, 
or when they had, they had something warm in their hands, they responded that the person it was loving, they were kind, and, and things associated with warm traits of a person. But when they held a cold iced cup of coffee, they, they didn't have those remarks. They had more of a, a sort of standoff approach to the person who was in the lift with them. Um, they, they didn't view them as kind. And in some cases, I suppose, viewed them as the opposite, as cold or unrelational. And so... They ran personality tests on these people and found, yep, there was a spectrum of personalities. There was no bias in that way. And so they came up with a conclusion that when you, the hand or when the senses sense something warm, it changes our perception of reality around us. And when something cold was in our hands, that it triggered something in the brain that also shifted our view of reality around us, but in the opposite way. And it shows how fragile and temporary our perception of the world is. And when we're talking about emotions, an emotion can completely cloud our perception of reality. And so we're re relating to people out of what we think, and this is, I mean, this is anxiety 101, right? When you feel the world's going to end and somebody's sitting beside you and they're like, snap, just snap out of it. And you're like, but I can't. I don't know how, and it's so real to me. Mm. Um, and how do you, how do you come out of that place? I, I don't really know a short-term solution to that. I think sometimes anxiety is just something you can practice breathing exercise and bring yourself back down. But it's kind of like when do you know when you get um, uh, uh, muscle pains like cramps, and you get cramps in your foot, or like when you're sleeping, you get cramps in your leg. And it's like really sore. Do you ever get that? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like anxiety is like that. It's like you've just got to try and not focus on the present suffering or the pain and it will pass. Yeah, that's good. And good tools. Um, the breathing for sure. And that experiment is very interesting to me um, that we think we know what's going on. So often we think, oh, we know what we're talking about, What what's... Well, you know, that kind of stuff. But then something like that happens and you realize you're actually just, you're getting subconsciously, you're taking on information and, and, and thinking that it's you and that it's just normal. And that's why advertising works on us. Mm. Um, that's why movies work on us. We, that's, we're, we're easily tricked. <laughs> Our brains are easily tricked. I don't know. Have you looked into pheromones? No. That's scary, right? Because... Oh pheromones is like the uh the scent that we receive oh, yes, of yep. people that you know makes us attracted to them wow that's yeah. bizarre bro <laughs> yeah it is it is so odd to think about this these things um but another thing i was considering is um that we project so much and we have talked about this a little bit in previous episodes but we tend to as people project our inner state, what's happening inside us onto other people, onto our workplaces. Um, and what can really happen there is you can, you can avoid what, you know, facing the trauma or the troubles inside yourself because you've projected them onto somebody else. And, um, and that's where naming the emotion can be a good start in, in overcoming that because you're actually realizing oh, okay, I'm just upset because of this, this, and this. Um, but yeah, that, that projection of 
your inner world onto the exterior world can be a real like it's like you're walking around and <laughs> half asleep or you're you're asleep at the wheel we walk around in these like like we're sleepwalking okay for a first date um you're watching a terrible movie but you're having the best time because you're just enjoying the other person's company so much and you're just you've got all these elevated emotions and you don't need to um to change anything because you're just enjoying the moment for what it is whereas you could have that same thing happen with somebody you've kind of been around for a long time and you don't have experience it the same way because you project what's on the inside onto what's actually happening on the outside so I guess what I'm saying is like if we can figure out a way to learn how to just um I guess just experience experience the moment for what it is and be super grateful for the moment for what it is and it's hard to do it's it's really hard to do and we go back into that sleepwalking state so often yeah I think so. I mean I just went camping with my kids and uh, my my eldest son was shouting at my youngest son and, and he had this tone of voice that was so just irritated and frustrated it's like my response was to talk to my oldest son and say, oh, and it didn't matter what the words I said, I heard the same frustration in my voice and the frustration that I was projecting, he was then passing on to the next person. Right. And I realized that projection doesn't stop one person down the track. Yeah. But it continues and it's the same with bullies, right? Bullies are generally people who have been bullied who then bully another, who then bully another, and, and there's that string of projection um, that takes place. And so escaping that, as you talked about, you know, how do we escape that projection, name the emotion, live in the moment, and I want to ask you this question uh, because the topic is suffering. Do you think that suffering is like the grounding cable in the electrical current, the thing that grounds us into reality. That's a great analogy. I'm really thankful that you shared that. Because um, our natural thing is that we want to eliminate suffering. We, we want to get rid of it, right? That's how human tendency is like, I'll be happy when I don't have a leaky roof. Or I'll be happy when I have a new Tesla in the garage. Or... You know, those kinds of things. We want to eliminate what we consider is what's making us unhappy. But what science is showing us is that we're actually terrible at knowing what actually makes us happy. We're, our brains just aren't very good at it. And so we we tend to want to just actually take the suffering part out of our lives. If you could just imagine it like you're removing a hard drive from the system and you're just taking that whole thing out and it's gone and then everything's better right that's kind of wrong um because like you say it's the grounding cable what i've been trying to remember this week is all the learning i've been doing around how suffering is actually the thing that teaches you things because life's always handing you lessons it's always offering up things that you can learn from and we tend to just no i don't want to i push it aside um, but if you're open and receptive to it, even though it can be really difficult, 
you can pinpoint what's going on and how you can use the suffering or whatever's happening to you as a way to grow and become a better person. And it's it's almost as if you have to embrace suffering as it comes because it will come to everyone, but how you embrace it. And I love in the Bible, there's this beautiful analogy of um, Jacob who wrestles with God. And I just think that is the best picture of suffering. It's the frustration. I don't want to be suffering. Why me? Why have things not worked out the way I wanted them to? Why? And all that process is the wrestling with, I don't want to suffer. I want to have, uh, I want to be blessed. I want to live my best life now. Thanks, Joel Lostein. I want to live all these things and not, it's not working out. And there's this frustration, but that frustration is the birthplace of grounding us back into reality where we're free from our pursuit of happiness. We don't have to be happy. And that's the point we become content, which is the loop that leads us back to happiness. It's like, what the heck? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and bringing it to art real quick. Um, so if you think about it in terms of creativity and, and making a piece of artwork, what's really interesting is that it's the, those moments of if you can inject that into the art um, music comes is the most natural to me because I I'm most uh, like experienced in that form of artwork but um, if you if I'm listening to a song and it just sounds cheesy it sounds like nothing has gone wrong or or a movie I mean this is probably partly just my own taste but I know some people like movies where nothing happens the entire movie. Sometimes the most beautiful pieces of artwork is where the artist can actually show you the suffering in the artwork. And that's what makes it good because you can see the struggle or in the lyrics you might be able to hear um, that they're going through something and they don't have answers. Like John Foreman just put out a song. It's called Jesus, I Have My Doubts. And... I am so glad that at the end of the song, he didn't just end it on, but it's all good and I've figured it out and we're back to normal. He ends on, I can't remember the exact lyric, but it's basically, it just leaves it with the question. And I think way too often we try and answer every question and we try and say, we have all the answers, we know everything, when really <laughs> we don't have a clue half the time. I think we try and this is a huge assumption that could come across as arrogant, but I can say it for myself that I think sometimes we hold on to our paradigms and we don't want them to shift. We don't want to have a paradigm shift because we've based our entire security around the familiarity that we know. And if I think of it like my childhood home, when you're a child, you need stability. You need those you need uh, almost consistency. And my bedroom was my bedroom. You know, I didn't want it to change. Every, I knew my room. And then you come to the age to leave home and it's like, oh, I'm leaving behind my childhood. And uh, again, taking this to a scriptural point of view, when the Bible, uh, many times the Apostle Paul talks about maturing and growing up in the faith. And I don't think maturing means staying in the same room. I think maturing means walking out of the room and out of the house. Otherwise, and, and there's a loss 
and there's a, there's a suffering in stepping out the house because what if I'm wrong? What if, and like you said, what if the question doesn't get answered? And when you walk out, you realize that you always had the wrong question. And there's a freedom that comes from living outside that, that room, which um, as we've talked about, the book by Richard Raw Falling Upward talks about the fence living inside the fence and one day you accidentally stumble into the fence and it breaks and you fall and you're on the other side and you're like <gasps> it's not safe here and then you look back and you're like oh it's not safe there either yeah <laughs> yeah leaving home like you say there's there is a sadness and because i've left home a bunch of times and gone to different places or left other places and gone to new places and there there is always a deep sadness and and it's really difficult to do it every single time and it doesn't get any easier part of that is just natural it's just grief we we grieve something we've we've loved we've it's it's helped us to grow it's helped to kind of define us but at the same time we do find it difficult as humans to let go of things and we hold on to things way too tightly, be that possessions or fame or like titles or anything like that. We really, really struggle when the time comes to let those go. There's a thing inside us that we need to, well, I need to learn to, to be better at letting go. So what? why why is it hard to let go? Um, because we come to associate it, well, this is my take on it anyway, we come to associate it with who we are and we think that our whole identity is wrapped up in it and without it we're lost, we don't know, we're, we're adrift at sea. And we love anything that keeps us going in the same direction, stable, we love like habits and knowing what's coming, the thought of letting go of those things can just feel like, oh my goodness, I'm all adrift, I have no idea what's coming and that can be so hard to navigate, which is why we hold on so tightly to everything. But you think of when you actually die at the end of your life, that is the final letting go. What Richard Raw talks about is suffering comes and it's like life handing you opportunities to learn to let go before you die so that when you die, it's not like, oh, I'm being forced. Oh, no, I'm finally yeah, just yeah. being forced into it. No, you've actually learned the process along the way. You're already dead. <laughs> You're already a dead man walking. I love that. And I, I just have to inject this because I'm so excited about this. I I mean, we're, I'm not talking, as we're talking right now, I'm not talking about my own experience. But then I stop and I listen to our conversation. I'm like, this has been my own experience of, of letting go of the identity of pastor, of somebody who was a, a spiritual provider for people and realizing that what does it mean to have a faith outside of that role what does it look like to be a human and be just me outside of wearing a ministry label because that's all I'd done my whole life and um, I'm, I'm stepping into business I'm bringing that I'm, I'm going to bring that up every single podcast so that people go to www.ironmo.co.nz and buy some stuff but <laughs> I'm stepping it into business and I love it so much that it's almost been like, why didn't I do this earlier? Like I got home today and this is going to sound so nerdy. I got home today and I was like, because we'd been out camping at the, for those who are familiar with the geography um, of Whangarei, Whangarei is in a harbor. 
we went out to the peninsula that cups at the harbour's edge. And I was like, man, it would be really cool to have a ferry out here to go to One Tree Point, which is like two kilometers distance, but it's a massive like one and a half, two hours drive. I was like, wouldn't it be cool to have a ferry? I'm like, oh, you know, it'd be cool, a hovercraft. And it's like, so I got out the map and started measuring, oh, it's two kilometers, how much fuel does it use? How much fuel would it need to run a hovercraft? How much is a hovercraft? How long to get into town with a hovercraft? Okay, so I got the spreadsheet out and I started calculating how many people would I need to go on the hovercraft every year to make a profit. And I worked out that it would take me two years to pay off the business startup fees. And after that, I'd earn about 300000 a year if I had 100 people a day getting on this hovercraft. And I even emailed a hovercraft company in New Zealand and was like, "Wow, hey. And so I've just worked out this whole thing. I'm talking to my wife, Lee, about it and she's just like, she just walked out the room. She just was like, I'm, I'm not having it. I'm not we're, we're taking a risk, enough risk as it is. But like, bro, I was missing out on all of this dreaming and, and freedom of, I was missing out on being adrift at sea because I was so clinging to the land that I knew. Mm. And I feel so alive. And I'm like, why didn't I start this when I was 20? And I wasn't probably ready. And everybody has their own journey. But I'm just like, I will never now, I don't think I'll ever stop dreaming about mm. making the things in my head a reality to the benefit of other people. Um, I feel alive. And it, that is the that is the flip side of suffering, right? Mm. Suffering births us into the maturity of freedom. So then can you take that and as we've been talking about suffering being the greatest gift or the greatest spiritual teacher, can you talk into that about how for you from going from one thing to another and how you feel so alive now, how did suffering help you with um, understanding this about yourself and those kinds of things? Very briefly, it was very dark. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I don't think, I, at first I was like, God, why are you putting me through this? Why are you putting me through such suffering? And God just kept saying, just trust me. And it's so hard because my chemi- my brain chemicals weren't working properly. So it wasn't just that I was like, oh, I'm feeling down. It was like my brain's actually not able to produce endorphins. And so the empty and the hollowness was what you felt like you you wanted to be swallowed up. And many times I just wish somebody would kill me so that I didn't have to kill myself because I was like, you know, if this suicide is sin, would I go to hell? I don't know. So it'd be nice if somebody could just kill me. I'd be driving along the road like I wish a truck would just crossover lanes right now and I don't have to deal with this my kids would be better off you know you start convincing yourself that stuff so for me that that was the the depths and there's an amazing movie there's an amazing freaking movie you're gonna say silence no oh okay okay Robin Williams oh yes it's on my watch list what dreams may come okay oh it's it's his take I mean unfortunately he ended up killing himself but um amazing movie on depression wow and um and the afterlife but it's all rooted around mental illness and um oh that that'll ruin you mm-hmm. and, and he meets god in it and all this stuff happens and but, but basically to give you the short answer i think that suffering for me going into those places, i thought god was punishing me but what i didn't realize is god was freeing me from myself and that the uh, trusting God through that and coming through the other side, my faith is so much 
deeper. It's not the same. I think it's an immaturity if our faith looks the same at 40 the way it did when we're 14. I love him so much more, but he's so much bigger than before. Um, I feel more stabilized in myself. I feel stronger. I feel freer. I looked out to the ocean today when I was with my kids and I looked out to the ocean and I was taking a picture of along the beach and I was like, it's cool, but I just want to take a picture of the ocean because it's so vast and big and mm. freaking empty and it's so exciting now, whereas before that was terrifying. Um, and it just shows that the pivot of what it looks like. So I think in, in very short, I mean, I could talk about, I haven't really processed that out loud in this kind of setting or any kind of setting. So it could be a massive topic. So I'll just stop there. That was really good though. And really, um, I mean, just helps me even, even understand your story more. And oh, one thing I, I will kind of chime in with is how, how suffering or being alone, like when I, I had surgery, right? And I, I, um, I had to, my, one of my legs was shorter than the other by quite a su substantial amount. So I had to have surgery. A telescopic rod was put into my leg and a magnet on the outside makes the telescopic rod grow at a very slow rate. And so you can actually increase what the length of one of your limbs. So that changed my life. But in order to do that, you have to, you're obviously like you're you're getting your femur broken. I had my my femur broken to to do it, and so you it's like having a broken leg, yes. But also at the same time, you're having to grow your own leg literally with this external magnet that you place on your leg and run it for a certain amount of time each day. Man, it's it's been a while since I've since I was in that state. So it's kind of buzzy actually even remembering what it was like. And it's a, tr it's a trip, man. That's anyway. So I was basically out of action for, oh, I can't remember the exact amount of time, but it was a good couple of months. Um, I did it across the summer so that I wouldn't miss too much of the school year. So wait, just, just to clarify your whole life, you had lived with this dysfunction of not having the set the legs the same length yes that's right and you had had your shoes adapted for that right yes and yeah. so your whole life you've bought this one way yeah and then what age were you roughly when this took place oh uh 30 yeah 30 I 30 think. years yeah. yeah yeah it's awful it's 30 years and then that's crazy to think about okay. um and so yeah. i just wanted to bring that context in yeah yeah oh thank you thank you um so I've got to remember that we have listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I had that happen and I was at home in my parents' basement and all props to them. They did an amazing job at looking after me and they always have. And I'm incredibly grateful for They're their support. Awesome. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it was one of the saddest and loneliest times of my life. I remember you were actually one of the only people who came and visited me regularly. Um, and that, wow. that brought tears to my eyes because I was always able to just text you and know that you would be like, yep, I'm there. And that's like, yeah, that's one of the most uh, beautiful friendships you can have. But 
anyway, it, it was one of the, the hardest times in my life. And you might think, oh, it's just like a COVID lockdown. You know, you're at home, you can watch movies all the time, you can just hang out. But it wasn't like that at all. It was, it was different. It was, it felt like, like just a, I don't know, like every day I was just in bed and you, you can kind of watch your, your whole uh, demeanor and your, your level of, of just life and bubbliness slowly dive down into, into the, the grave. <laughs> and some days it was hard. It was hard to just get up and keep going. But what I'm trying to say from this, I guess, is one, one really, really good thing that this moment, plus other moments of just general hard times, suffering, despair in my life have done is caused me to be so much more empathetic for other people because I, I can see and I can see what people go through and I can just, it hits me and, and your heart goes out to people like that. So again, suffering, the greatest spiritual teacher, it really does like you think you want to get rid of it in your life. You think you want to just take it out of the world and have nobody ever suffer. But I don't know, man. Without it, bittersweet movies would be pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. And I love, and it does sound cliche that everything will be all right in the end. But I think, in a strange way, it both is and isn't. Like, it's not all right in the end. And that's what makes it all right in the end because you adapt and you learn to appreciate life despite the tragedy. And I just heard a friend of mine today said that um, one of their friend's wife's just passed away. They had kids, probably in their 30s or, or 40s. And um, I mean, that's just a tragedy in a family. The whole family feels that pain. And it's like, how can anything good come out of that? And the good that comes out of things like that is the almost the tragedy of coming to terms with it and realizing that life is beautiful regardless of things that go wrong. And I think that's the, you can't get there without going through a valley. It's not like you just click a button and go, okay, I'm happy now. I've reached contentment. It's the journey to, to get there. That's great. I'm just going to read this Richard Raw quote on suffering. And then if you could read um, the Brene Brown um, excerpt to take us out. So in terms of the ego, most religions teach in some way that all of us must die before we die. And then we will not be afraid of dying. Suffering of some sort seems to be the only thing strong enough to destabilize our arrogance and our ignorance. I would define suffering very simply as whenever you are not in control. Suffering is not being in control. I like that. But what we know now is that when we deny our emotion, it owns us. When we own our emotion, we can rebuild and find our way through the pain. Wow. And that's Brene Brown? That's Brene Brown. What's the book? Um, the book is Braving the Wilderness, The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. Oof. I need to add that, buy that on Kindle or something. That sounds awesome. We'd, we could have just have quoted the title there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the only part of the podcast, just the title of Brene Brown's book. <laughs>
All right, well, thank you again. This has been amazing. Um, Wow, I did not expect it to go as deep as it did, but we've never really been afraid of going deep. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review and following the show on Instagram. The support means a lot and is super helpful for the algorithms. All original music is by me, Stephen Garten. And thanks as always to my co-host, Matt Goodat, for the chats. All right, I'll see you all in the next one. Keep it fresh.